0: And welcome to episode 18 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound players with a head for the game. I am Freeloader, and with me, as always, are my co hosts, Arthas and Sabaiku. Sabaiku, how's it going tonight?
1: Fantastic. And Arthas, how are you doing? I'm doing grape, and I love grapes.
0: Uh, and I like to eat grapes. Uh, we are The Brood Sages. And as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages on Twitter. Or for all of you who recognize the phrase, I pity the fool, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. Hey, guys, this week, we have had all kinds of crazy stuff. There's even a new channel in Discord, Deck Order. Arthas, walk me through this.
2: All right, guys, we got a new thing. It's called Deck Order, and I uh, I applied for a spot for it. And uh, what's awesome is that, um, well, for one, the channel description, we got fresh organic decks locally sourced from the free range designers. Read the pin messages to obtain your own deck. And basically, you can submit like a, a deck order through this uh, Google survey form. Uh, it tells you about like, uh, oh, what rank are you in? um would you what kind of faction would you like to play any cards you want included any particular type of playstyle anything like that you put that through this like survey form in the main discord in the deck order channel and uh we take we take your submissions and we do the best we can to uh, supply with you the best deck that we can come up with that fits the criteria you sent us and uh, on top of that after building a deck and sharing we also give you some very very like detailed deck insights such as like uh oh what the main objective of the deck is any weaknesses it has uh particular synergies or priorities and it's just so well thought out and a lot of people are having so much fun getting new decks and having some real et- insights that uh not everyone can really think of but uh I, I can assure you we can think of them <laughs> and uh it's great because uh it I think this is a wonderful way to like uh really test out any new waters in the game like oh let's say maybe you got a new card or you finally leveled it up to something playable but you just don't know what kind of deck to put it in or how to play it well deck order is for you slap that in put it put that new card as your uh, inclusion and we'll do the best we can to help you
0: now now can you do more than one card in your deck order oh yeah some
2: people asked for like three
0: cards (laughs) i have this desire for an avian stalker joust champion rapid mouser deck i was uh thinking about posting it
2: (laughs) um that might take a while to process but we will get to you if you send it in nice (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: but i only want free range avian stalkers let's let's be clear about that Um, (laughs) all right and uh uh there's always been a deck building tool has there not
1: There has always been a deck building tool at stormbound-kitty.com slash deck. Now, this is uh, a build your own deck kind of thing. You don't get the kind of thoughtful advice and consideration that the free range designers will provide you. Mm. But if you're looking to put something together for yourself, consider this your weekly reminder to go to stormbound-kitty.com. You can build your own deck, you can get some basic analytics under the Insight tab, like average speed of the cards, average mana cost, number of cards playable on your first turn. It's a nice all-around tool that we definitely encourage you to use.
2: Yeah, it also comes with some uh, very general tips, like, oh, we notice you're lacking AoE, or uh many of your cards don't move at first so you might struggle with defense consider adding more movement or let's say you added a card that needs synergy but you forgot to put the synergy in there and it will remind you it's pretty nice
1: we notice you're playing brute ages but nothing in your deck poisons anything is there for spirit. We recommend brute ages in every deck. <laughs> exactly right. Um
0: n- next up guys, uh there's a this is our tournament section, so we just we we love plugging tournaments. Uh we're going to go in reverse order this week because uh you'll find out very quickly. Uh we have a little surprise for you guys, but uh first up then is the new tournament coming out. There's a Brazilian tournament, Debnath posted it on Reddit. Uh, you can go. I'm not going to read the uh, the link, but we'll have it posted. Uh, uh, Sign-ups are right now. Big shout-out to Deb Math, Wishing him good luck in his tournament. And so we go from the beginning of a new tournament to the end of the last one. The Conquest tournament is done. Arthas,
2: who won? So Conquest tournament recently finished. And uh, Mr. Grimm wins. Ooh. Really amazing. Uh, Labro bets being the second-place runner-up. And after that, Shades takes third place over Hanu. Very, very impressive, by the way. And uh, yeah, that's what we got. And from that, I know if some people if some people out there are more interested to hear about the tournament, and I'm sure a lot of you are, because uh, it's been really, really hyped out. Really nice that uh, Berzoza was supporting it. And lucky for us, we get to hear some of the insights and the experience straight From the tournament winner, Grim, right now in this interview. Alright guys, we are joined here today by Grim. Say hello to our listeners. Hello Aaron. And Grim, amazing job on winning the the Conquest tournament uh, recently. I don't know, it's pretty interesting because we got someone pretty new to the equals and tournament scene. To actually take a major tournament from many of the top players... What kind of experience have you had prior to the Conquest tournament that um, showed some success in the Equals meta?
3: Yeah, so what really started me going into the Equals meta was probably the Faction Wars season. I played two of them from like October this year, um, the 2020. So basically, I came in the Equals meta with the Brazos announcement uh, of the Faction Wars team. Played two seasons there, like helped me understand like what cards do people play, what cards are good. Just like basic strategies, basic decks and equals like what is good, what is bad. Then um, the two tournaments I actually uh, take part in is the attack and defense, uh, just from Reckless, which is where people play by pairs. So I have a partner, my partner is Helios. As you can guess, getting Helios as your partner is pretty good.
2: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so
3: yeah, we're on a way to win this right now. And also Helios like traded me a lot for this. Because he needs a good partner. Like, I was not a good partner entering the Ains scene. But like now, I feel like, yep, yeah, maybe I'm good.
2: <laughs> you definitely proved that by winning an entire major tournament. And um, that's pretty surprising because uh, from what you said, you are very, very new to the Equals meta. I am very, I know...
3: very used to the Equals meta.
2: Yeah, it takes a lot of um, adjustment from people because it's very, very different from Ranked. Right. It's not the same type of cards or levels, you know. And yeah. it's crazy how much success you found just from that. I know you said you, you played in Faction Wars. And yes, Faction Wars is amazing practice for equals, especially for me as well. Unfortunately, it's in a little bit of a break right now, but it's probably coming up, uh, very soon again. So back to Conquest Tournament. What exactly was your, uh, What were your deck choices or, like, faction choices throughout the whole thing?
3: Okay, so my faction choices actually swapped, like, from um, quarterfinals to semifinals to finals. The group stage, the quarterfinals I was experimenting with Swarm because of the exterior buff. Like, that could be really powerful. But unfortunately, like, still didn't turn out good. It was still a lot weaker. Not a lot, but it just had, like, you know, um, Swarm has a bad matchup against Winter because... Winter is just insane. Right. Then Swarm has a bad matchup against Shadow Fan. I mean naturally because Shadow Fan has a lot of poisoning, they have a lot of answers, and that's like what Swarm is big too. And then when we see like Swarm versus Ironclad, then I just prefer like the guaranteed value of a Phoenix over like the somewhat value of Bugs. Right. So like Ironclad versus Swarm. Actually, like, if the decks are good, I think in one-on-one, I would bet on Swarm. But Ironclad just has a lot more potential versus Winter and Fan.
2: Yeah, uh, it seems to be very, very common nowadays. Uh, Swarm is probably, in general consensus, the weakest faction and equals. Definitely the hardest one to play, just because a lot of its cards don't have that much value in general. So uh, a lot of the players in this tournament played you know ironclad Shadowfen, winter when they have to choose their three factions uh did you do that as well then
3: yep that's exactly the lineup i went in for the finals i had some variations of those deck. like i had at least two of every faction just in case like ironclad aggro ironclad midrange Ironclad control and stuff um, oh wow they were all like pretty much sideboarded against different decks that um Laura could play. Like this one is if I had to face like the Ironclad mirror, this one's for Winter, this one's for Fan. Yeah, so basically that's what I went, into, um, went with into the finals.
2: Okay. See, actually, <laughs> You had so much like prep then, you had like many decks already. Did you make these decks like before you started playing any matches? I mean with Laura, yes.
3: Uh, I prepped them almost from the day we finished semi-finals. I knew I was going from behind because I'm not like as skilled as Hanu, I'm not as skilled as Dirk. So against them, I actually had a lot of prep too. Like, I had four to five decks, but not as much as for the finals.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's pretty wild. I'm pretty sure a lot of people in that tournament kind of just winged what deck field you know, all right at the time. I mean, I know I definitely did that. Usually I would prepare more, but uh, <laughs> I kind of just went with what I felt at the time. So um, you know, unfortunately I got eliminated, Lamal. Yeah, you know, the tournament
3: seems simple, all right? You like bring three decks to It seems simple enough. But there's actually like a lot more stuff going on. Like if you think about it, um when you win two of the decks, then you have to bring the last one to actually win with it. Then right. like the enemy can sideboard against it. Like, bring all the cards that better against Shadow Fan, bring all the cards that's better against Sirenclad and stuff. So, actually, what most players, including me and Laura, did was um, we played Winter 3rd in the first to three wins meta. We played um our Winter decks last, so we could guarantee you win this, because Winter is just insane right now in Nichols. Mm-hmm. Like, it's by far the
2: best. <laughs> I can't believe they didn't ban like something like Zavana. Oh my god, that thing's breaking everything.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Actually I think that Giovanna Buff would be so good. Oh oh my god,
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um it's it's great because this tournament is uh quite different from most of the traditional uh tournaments in Stormbound, and that is that um we don't have to submit any decks when we apply for a spot. You know, most of the time you have to build a deck during the week sign uh, one week signups and you submit that and you're basically stuck with that deck. And not just that, people get to see your deck, because usually it's uh, available to see by your opponents, so that they can um, enforce that you're playing the deck you submitted. But here, there are no deck submissions whatsoever. Are there times where being able to change your cards for one faction... Um, really helped you a lot in any of your matches?
3: Oh, it helped me a lot, like in all of my matches, like from the group stage to all the way to the finals. I always changed some cards. I mean, I think it doesn't apply to the games when I was winning like two zero. So against Dirk and Hanu, uh, I swapped a lot because um that's actually what I actually used to um win two games in a row. Like I lost the first one, then I won two in a row. Um, how did they do it?
2: <laughs> wow.
3: That's like some psychological trick I kind of came up on my own. Like, I've noticed um, during playing the group stage and, like, training, practice, that a lot of people um, like to keep their deck when they lose. Why do they do it? Because, like, if you win, you get a disadvantage. You have to swap your deck, right? Mm-hmm. And that is a disadvantage. So when you lose and you don't have that disadvantage, you kind of want to go for the advantage. So keeping the deck, like, it's psychologically logical. <laughs> and most of the players, uh, not all of them, but most of the players actually kept the deck. So what I would do when I win match is I would bring my second faction and I would like completely sidewalk it against the faction I just played versus. And like 80% of the time, I would face that same deck. And I would completely obliterate them because I'm absolutely their counter pick.
2: So give us some examples of this, like cards or uh, factions. I
3: mean, the finals are a great example. I was playing Shadowfan um, versus Shadowfan um, game one. This is actually really interesting because, again, I told you, we're both playing wins in third place. So we could um, guarantee the win with the third deck. And then we have um, having played and Shadowfan for the first two matches, right? So then we kind of want to win first match. So what do we do? Um we know that Ironclad is somewhat weaker against Shadow Fan. Like it's almost sequel, but Shadow has a slight edge. Mm-hmm. So both of us would run Shadow Fan, right? Before the match starts. i like take out my Shadow Fan versus Shadow Fan and make some adjustments to it to make it even more versus Shadow Fan. So like it, <laughs> okay. it wouldn't actually stand a chance against Ironclad.
2: So what did you do? What did you do there?
3: So most of the stuff I did to my Shadowfan tech was put in the Siegebreakers, put in the Klaxi. Oh, um, the no, Klaxi. Klaxi was there. Yeah, Klaxi is really good in Shadowfan versus Shadowfan in my opinion. Wow.
2: Just
3: <laughs> so much tempo to the table. Klaxi is way one, actually.
2: Yeah, in my experience, Klaxi is really bad in general. But then if you knew that you were going to have a Shadowfan mirror matchup, then it's like really good, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dang, that's actually pretty crazy. And like you know um you went ahead to win the tournament but you know because you've only had basically faction wars and a little bit of attack and defend um as equals meta experience what exactly was your um expectations for the conquest tournament like how far would you have gone how many games would you have won or lost what was your original you know expectation for yourself
3: I mean looking into the group stage I was definitely passing in the first place because like there were some people that never actually played equals. Like, I never saw them, and I'm very certain that I have seen, like, almost all of the people who actually play equals competitively in my two seasons of Flexion Wars and these tournaments. Then, my uh, quarterfinals match was against Dirk. Dirk is a really great player. I think he's somewhat better than me but I was eh, Maybe it's like a 60-40 for him. So, even if I win versus Dirk, um, which is not exactly likely... I have to face Hanu in the semifinals. (laughs) Hanu Hanu is a god.
2: (laughs) Yes. Um, If if the listeners don't already know, um, Hanu actually has uh, the most tournament wins in Stormbound history right now. Yeah, he does. Uh, He actually won eight gold medals, three silver medals and two bronze medals. Second place being Helios with five gold and one silver, one bronze. So Hanu actually is... Very, very up there in terms of, like, success in the Tournament Hall of Fame. Which, by the way, you can all check out in Stormbound Kitty Tournament's Hall of Fame. Very nice. Very interesting. You can also look at the decks that the winners used. Very, very cool. You guys should totally check that out. But, uh, yeah, back to you, Grim. Hanu is very, very powerful, right? Like, what were you expecting then?
3: When I was going into the match with Hanu, I was like, okay, I need to luck out. Like, that's the only way. Because I'm not (laughs) beating Hanu fairly. (laughs) <laughs> and that's actually kind of what the what the match came down to so uh hanu wins the first match i think then the second one we play his shadow fan versus my ironclad and i win it somehow i just got like really good um phoenix value he was a bit too controlling for um to actually deal with phoenix's Phoenix is actually a great card. In Ironclad, if you know, you're going to be facing a uh, slower deck. And a lot of equals meta is actually slower.
2: Yeah, in my experience, though, not a lot of people actually uh, play Phoenix. They kind of undervalue it. Um, yeah, Phoenix is They think it's, it's really, really slow. Slow. Like, I think it's a hidden gem. So how did you play Phoenix, though? Did you just keep cycling and just spam Phoenix? Is that what you did?
3: <laughs> yeah, I kind of just kept cycling the spam Phoenix.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that that was enough to overwhelm Then I
3: outvalued the second match and then we go into the first game so this is where i put. okay i need to luck out it's my shadow mm-hmm. fan versus i think his shadow fan so he just played his quadier. Yeah. there there were three eggs on the table and i heard a collecting hands, which would be active next turn i needed to clear the board from the weak unit so i could transform his um three strength spawns into my klaxi tokens and then i had my which is a base which is when they go inside, they create a one-strength token. That was really bad, because if they created it, then the collection play wouldn't been available, mm-hmm. and I would have had like three three tokens at my base, and I would have probably lost. I'm like 95% sure I would have lost. Um, the witch had a 50-50% chance to spawn the token other behind her, which I would have lost, or to the side, where my other unit would go into it, and then there would have been no, uh, actually, like, or so less of strength units left on the boards. Which is, right. the, is exactly what happened. I that
2: <laughs> 50-50. You managed to win that uh, 50-50 coin flip, and then you just, yeah. like, activated your Klaxi trap card against Cordia.
3: Like, from everything, <laughs> like, five units.
2: <laughs> and did you win off that Klaxi play?
3: I definitely won after,
2: off that Klaxi play. Because, <laughs> like, what, that's, uh, you killed three dragons of three strengths so you got nine already plus the 15 yeah. plus, plus, <laughs> the itself, plus, plus the, the
3: classic one itself plus like from my side so it was like 31 strength. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's crazy and, the, and yeah this is again from your uh, from your planning on doing the shadow fan mirror matchup right that's crazy that that really worked out <laughs> I mean, against one of the top players, right? Yeah. Pretty big deal. Right after beating Hanu and uh, you started uh, going against uh, Lobbro in the finals, uh, talk about how the finals went there because that was a big one. Again, I uh, was kind of talking so about the fact that uh,
3: the Winters played last, the fans played first, right? Mm-hmm. So a Shadowfan versus Shadowfan mirror. Um, His Shadowfan is just like, you know, like basic good stuff. Um, My Shadowfan is like, destroy fan, No <laughs> fun allowed. <laughs> I win the first game. It was you know, it wasn't easy because of course the decks both decks are good. It was like a good first match. So I win match one. Then we move to the second match, and that's like when I actually realized that I don't have a good like first shadow fan um ironclad deck. Oh. Because like I know he's probably gonna keep shadow fan. He won't switch to the Ironclad. So. I just like on the spot build an Ironclad deck that's like absolutely designed to only beat Shadow Fan. Like it beats nothing else. Like it was a semi-aggro ironclad deck with hard guards, which actually um beat Shadowfan, but like its just as planned. It was <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. So we go to the third match and I think if he would switch or not like I decide that he wouldn't like I build a completely new winter deck that's tailored to beat fan again and then we go into the third match and he has winter Designed to oh, winter. and that was like a really uh, nerve-wracking moment because oh well <laughs> 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 well then I have all those cards against shadow fan like um siege breakers, they're almost useless against winter which plays like no structures I would have been far better off playing melodious systems um, actually, uh, probably the Beast of Terror would have been great there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the third match, which was Winter, I don't think I actually want to spoil it to you because it was a really interesting, really great match. I think you might have to go to Reckless' channel, um, Reckless Rush YouTube channel to watch
2: it. Oh, well, yeah, it was recorded.
3: He's planning to upload the uh, recap of the finals, which I personally will go watch it.
2: <laughs> so if he's going to be uploading that, I like what Grim said totally should check it out on Reckless channel, right? Pretty sure you guys know Reckless Rush on YouTube, so that's probably where you can find it. I love seeing that uh, a lot of newer players are finding a lot more success, even though there are still um, many of the regular top players in this competition, but like, they're, they're finding some good success. Very nice that a lot of new players are joining. And um, Grim. Would you be joining more of these like tournaments or events much like this? Because I know there is a tournament going to be hosted by Hanu Street coming next. Probably next week.
3: Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to take part in that. Especially considering, you know, Hanu's banned from the tournaments. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, if, if the listeners don't already know, uh, usually the, uh, the hosts of the tournaments are uh, not allowed to play in the tournament. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, since Hanu is hosting, he probably won't be uh, participating. <laughs> so, Grim, <laughs> I have big expectations from you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, we have it there, folks. Uh, Grim here, new uh, equals player, winning an entire tournament. It's been really lovely to have you here in the podcast and to talk to you about your experience. It's It's amazing. Yeah,
3: thank you for having me here. Thank you for the support.
2: Thank you. Well, that was fantastic. That's
0: a lot of really cool insights. Um, I, I remember, Sabaiku from, from my time playing in uh, THL in, in Hearthstone, that um, Conquest, one of the cool things about Conquest tournaments and Conquest style of play is always queue order and queue strategy, right? And Grimm really hit on this idea of not only picking the factions to play in order based on which one you want to be left with in the end, but also the idea that if I can predict what my opponent is going to queue into, I know which deck I want to queue into next. What did you think of all that?
1: I think it's fantastic. It's great to see him applying some thought to it. You can kind of assume that your opponent is choosing their decks randomly, but you know that's really not the best way to go about it. Assume that your opponent is putting as much thought into it as you are. And it was great to see Grimm really thinking about it. And, you know, obviously, when he was talking about preparing for that last match in the finals, uh, predicting his opponent would bring one faction when he brought another instead. He still rolled with the punches and uh, was able to bring home the victory.
0: And Arthas, what do you think about all the eggs in one basket kind of idea of going
2: for a Shadowfen deck that only counters the Mirror? I mean, <laughs> I was impressed that he pulled it off, but I would never do something like that. <laughs> I mean, as a control player, you know, I I, I take the low risk medium to low rewards.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's maybe one of the advantages of this tournament that I think he really seized upon was the fact that you could alter your deck lists even in the middle of a match if you wanted to.
0: Right. That's very different. If my so So back when I used to play a lot of Conquest, once I've beaten my opponent with a specific deck, I would always keep the best counter to that deck, if it wasn't the one I won with, in my back pocket. Because if my opponent got to the point where that was the only deck he had left to play, I'd be like, bad news, dude. I've got the counter for you. But in this particular tournament, even if I saw saw a specific Shadow Fan deck in game one and I beat it, I have no idea if I'm going to see that deck again because you're allowed to go change the deck every single time. Arthas, that's crazy. That's there, there's so much there's so much gamesmanship here. Of I know you
2: know what I've got. And oh yeah, I, I, you know,
0: like craziness.
2: I mean, mo- most of the experience that I had with something like that, where it's so dynamic, what kind of cards you can put in, and it's like. You have some very nice trap cards that aren't revealed instantly because your deck is invisible. Like, I see this from Faction Wars. And uh, like Grim said, he also got most of his equals uh, experience from Faction Wars, which, uh, by the way, will probably be starting uh, very soon again. It's taking a break. But uh, yeah, totally should check that out. There's a Discord for that, and you can find it in the main server too. But yeah, in Faction Wars, you're not forced to build a particular deck, and that means you don't have to send any. You don't have to tell the opponents what kind of cards you have, and um, you can really like completely bamboozle them. Like for example, um, me when I played Swarm a lot in Faction Wars, I would for the first game I would just play like a regular Swarm deck, you know, kind of rushy, kind of mid rangey, and then maybe they're running Execution, and they're thinking, "Oh, okay, uh, like I don't need to run Execution. I should probably put something else." And then I hit, I whip out the uh, Pillars of Doom. Second round, they don't have Execution win <laughs> oh, gosh
1: that's brutal
2: all right well
0: hats off to grim i thought he played uh fantastically i did not get to call the the finals like you did with reckless uh i did get to call the semifinals, and and uh, uh fantastic job by shades to win but also tip of the hat for to hanu
2: for the ridiculous amount of memeing yeah actually though, no. <laughs> i mean he won he won a round with Mech Workshop. Dude, I don't remember workshop. the last time that happened.
0: <laughs> we have a main topic to discuss, which is unexpectedly, just sort of like Christmas in the middle of the month. Uh Sabayka, we got a new card.
1: We got a new card. We got the Temple of Focus, the first of six new structures that we know we're going to be seeing. Uh, we don't know what the timetable for release is, but we sure know that the first one is in the game right now. So this is an epic swarm structure. It's three mana, the strength of the towers three, four five six, seven. Um, so pretty pretty decent body for the mana cost, which is important for sure. The text is a little complicated, so we'll talk through it. It's at the start of your turn, deconfuse and give one additional movement to all friendly units in front. Deal one damage to itself when a boosted unit reaches the enemy base. Now, to break this down a little bit, the Deconfuse, I think, is something that caused, pun intended, a lot of confusion on Discord when the card was first released. Um, Deconfuse is not necessarily meant to be a counter to confusion-based decks, although it certainly can do that. Uh, We think it's there, really, just to guarantee that the unit move forward, uh, to put the focus in the card name. The real meat of this is the one additional movement to all friendly units in front. So when your units are lined up in a column, at the start of your turn, the tower triggers, everything moves up one, and then the normal unit movement phase happens and everything moves up one again. Now, when a unit that is either boosted by the tower on the tower phase, or during the normal movement phase afterward, reaches the enemy base, the tower will take one damage to itself. So it's got a a little bit of a timer built in where it's going to self-destruct after you get utility out of it. Personally, I don't think that this is very critical, especially when you have your tower leveled up to five or six strength. If you get five or six extra units walking into the baseline that weren't going to do that, you're probably winning that game. So you don't care that your tower dies. (laughs)
0: You you just hit on, on, on why it's important, though. Uh, at three health, that's a huge deal. Right. Uh, at, at four health, that is a level five bladestorm. Uh, so it is quite critical that you level this up. And at an epic, it's fairly expensive. So I, I think you hit on exactly why that timer's in there. Um, I think it's a motivator for people to uh, level this up to really be able to get good utility out of it.
1: Anyway, continue. That's fair. And, you know, really, we talk about a timer for the tower, but a timer is really what this does for your opponent. If you can stick this on your back row when you're applying pressure, that pressure is going to get to the base faster than your opponent is used to. They're going to have trouble keeping up with the number of units coming in, and it puts them on a clock to defend. And I think that's really what the strength of this tower is. You know, really, it's all a lot of theory at this point as people are still testing the card out and understanding what they've got here but we're gonna try to talk you through what kind of decks do you want to play this in because uh, i play a lot of mid-range form right now or at this i know you're in the same boat and i really mm-hmm. see this fitting in well there because the tower only boosts unit movement in the column that it's in it immediately makes me think of Zuri and makes me think, hey, I want to maximize my column effects, right? Buff everything in a column, and then next turn drop this and protect that column a little bit, and now everything that I just buffed is going to move into the base faster than my opponent can handle. It's pretty cool. I mean, if you think about it, when Zuri buffs units, typically those
2: units are really, really hard to deal with, right? So... um you know, it's likely they will survive. So it's kind of likely that they get uh boosted by the Temple of Focus. And then let's say maybe they decide not to uh throw mana into your units, and then they, they work to get frontline to kill the Temple of Focus. Well, now your units have free reign to harvest their base, right? It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because a mid-range deck like this is really susceptible to being outrushed. But if you can land the Zuri buff and drop this tower and still be alive afterward, like you're you're really turning the tables on your opponent.
2: Yeah, and with like decent strength, like at max level, it's seven strength. That's stronger than cheap units at six. Um, so it typically takes two cards to deal with that structure. You can actually put this structure in your second row. Or you can defend while applying pressure implicitly with your other units in front. That kind of dynamic, I really love that they can add to the game.
0: That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I really like that play. In fact, mm-hmm. that, that's a jaw-dropping
2: play right there. Exactly. And people don't realize that's a, an actual play. But when I came up with it, I'm like, yeah, I think I can make this work. <laughs> and, you know, but with so much strength, obviously, you need it needs to be like a decent level for your league, right? Um. Because the strength's pretty important. Um, you don't necessarily have to use its ability all the time. You can run a deck with hearth guards. Finally, Swarm gets a, a nice a three mana like structure that isn't useless like Moonlit. <laughs> or may- I don't know, maybe some people make this to be even more useless, I don't know. But what's nice is that you could still use it for its front line because it's stronger than most cheap units, and you know, cheap uh, structure for hearth guards, cheap for defense. But then it also has that bonus if you place it in the right place to just, like, hit hit them hard. Because, I mean, something I found with Zuri is that, yeah, you get so much value, but it's, like, quite an investment. Because, like, only Zuri with the 6 or 7 strength is in front. And then the big units are, like, a tile behind or two tiles behind. And it's like, oh, you know, the the enemy the enemy's like, wow, that's a lot of value. But then it's going to take a while before they get to my base. So it's like wow, maybe it's a bit slow, but this one straight up accelerates that double the speed. So it really puts them on a the timer. It's great. Yeah,
0: it absolutely puts them on a timer. Uh, one thing to note, I don't I don't know that we've hammered this home quite uh, enough. The movements generated by this tower are in the tower activation phase at the beginning of your turn, not the unit movement phase. So a shady ghoul, and this shout out to Merc for this because the first video I saw of it, Came from Merc. A shady ghoul gets pushed into your base. It shouldn't, or your opponent's base, it shouldn't have gone in, but the tower helped motivate it, you know, pushed it an extra movement forward. Because of that, the shady ghoul, if it spawns left or right rather than backwards, has now put a unit on your opponent's baseline at the beginning of the unit movement phase. That unit will also go into base. Um, so small things like that. Arthas, what happens if I have this tower and a moonlit area? You brought it up already. So let's say, is there a particular order that I have to play those two towers such that my my satyrs get buffed and then motivated into the base?
2: Right. Uh, in the order that you want, since moonlit doesn't really, it doesn't need to be in a particular column all it needs to be is that the temple of focus should be somewhere towards like the bottom right relative to the moonlit. So either below it or to the right of it or both that makes it so that the uh, temple of focus triggers after the moonlit. Mm. And th- the, w- the reason why there's this particular direction is uh again, to reiterate the way that structures trigger and their order is actually like a reading order. It's like left to right from top to bottom. So you want to put it in an order where, Um, moonlit triggers before focus so if you are running a moonlit focus deck um (laughs) yeah firstly good luck
1: (laughs) and also um
2: (laughs) and um if you if you happen to find a time where you're not sure where to play your moonlit or focus and any side like it doesn't make a difference you want to put your focus towards the right or you want to put your moonlit towards the left just a general tip love it love it
0: are right, any other so you've been experimenting with this quite a bit any other interesting or odd interactions that you've found since you've started experimenting also shout out to evil deck for uh, doing a lot of the
2: experimenting with you yeah evil deck and kep both of them actually so a lot of a lot of these like buggy in like air quotes buggy interactions come with uh, whether or not the temple takes damage because you know from the ability it says deal one damage to itself when boosted unit reaches the enemy base. And by the way, base does not mean enemy baseline. Baseline does not equal base, okay? So let's just get that out there. But there are times where an enemy does go into the base because of a a focus, but that particular focus does not take damage. Or other cases where it doesn't go in, but it does take damage. And um, from what I tested, and uh, this is basically like a long story short, the focus actually takes the board state and the units in front of it, and then it predicts where all of those units will end up. So if it finds units in front of it that are predicted to walk into the enemy base, uh, usually when you pretend they have two speed, if they are going to walk into the enemy base, that particular temple that triggered will take the damage, however many units went into the base. That sounds very confusing, and it, it really is because it takes... A, uh, it, it's much easier to explain when there are visuals, and uh, by the way, I have a lot of like footage and screenshots. I have like so many, so many different interactions that I was uh, testing, up to like five a.m. last night. <laughs> I was having so much fun. What's <laughs> your temple of focus right now, out of curiosity? Well, actually, it's at uh level two with one extra copy, only because I bought the uh, the pack that comes with the three copies. Yeah, because I'm a whale and I want it. <laughs> but um. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe I could make a really detailed video and explaining this. But I'm a bit hesitant. I don't know if people are actually interested because, like, most of these bugs are like very, very edge cases. Like, um if you're dealing with like Faithless Prophets or with like Mia. Wait, or wait, wait. Even- stuff right wait, wait <laughs> whoa, whoa.
0: If so you're playing this with Harvester trying to steal a Mia, Yeah. that is an edge case. But now I'm curious. Tell me about this. What happens when you have Mia?
2: All right, so uh, because like, like like freeloader mentioned, um, when a temple triggers, it actually moves like commands the unit forward during its trigger. So that that literally happens the same thing with Mia. If you trigger it, it just moves with all the units in front of your focus forward. That's just all you know, <laughs> just does what's expected. And um, but you know, it gets even more complicated though when you put multiple temples in the same column. But um. Yeah, that's going to be hard to explain that visual. So if you guys really want me to make this video, and I assure you, I can explain it so well. Probably better than anyone right now. I, I, I had almost no sleep. Yeah, please let me know because I'm really hesitant to make it.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, no, get yeah. some rest and put it together. be You can be the definitive uh, encyclopedia of the Temple of Focus.
2: <laughs> I can make like a whole kitty guide for it. <laughs> yes, but like, what if it gets patched, you know, all that work? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's not all that
1: work. It's all the extra work you'll have to do after that. Ah, to- uh,
2: all right. I, I see. I appreciate that mindset. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Let's get down to the bottom line here, yes, which sir. is, this is a three mana card that commands unit forward. And that sounds an awful lot like a very popular swarm card. Is this worth putting in my deck instead of Forgotten Souls? No.
2: Yeah, probably not. <laughs> no,
1: no, no, well, I think the answer very much depends on your level of Forgotten Souls, because at oh, yes. level five, Forgotten Souls is very different than it is, you know, even at levels three or four. But also, I think you I think they just don't go into the same kind of deck in Correct. general. That's going to be I th- the biggest challenge that I see is trying to build a deck that takes advantage of this persistent movement effect as opposed to a one-time effect like Forgotten Souls. As Forgotten Souls is a fantastic card. There's a reason why it's probably the number one Swarm card in terms of popularity right now. Uh, it's because it, it is a beautiful finisher when you get something at your opponent's baseline that is either big or does a lot of damage, like Devastators. You know, it just closes the game out for you. But building a deck that takes advantage of a persistent extra movement effect where you can continue to attack the same side of the board. I think that's going to be really tough to put together and i uh, curious to see what people come up with.
2: Yeah, so let me highlight like the biggest difference between something like Forgotten or Herald's Hymn versus uh, this Temple of Focus is that Forgotten and Herald's Hymn, they trigger the extra movement instantly. Here with the Temple of Focus, it gives the enemy time to counterplay you and it's not entirely guaranteed that you're gonna get that ability of,
1: you know? Sure. It takes a lot of leaning and your opponent might just run execution exactly. and, so
2: That's why all... I really um I really suggest that if people are serious about testing this card, which I, I definitely recommend for a bit. Um, don't don't tunnel vision into thinking, oh, this card's only good for its ability. No, it has good strength. Use it. There are other uses for this cheap structure. It doesn't have to be just the ability. You could do both. I would say the ability is a bonus, but uh yeah, that's just my tip.
0: No, I I, I totally agree. Uh, if you want at, at the same... So it is an epic, first off, right? So we, we need to talk about that. It is an epic, not a common. But if you have it at the same levels as a Fort of Ebonrock, it's just a better option. Like, yes, it's one health less than a Fort of Ebonrock,
1: but... It has an upside that Fort doesn't. That's true. And to be fair, the tower's ability doesn't change as it levels. Only the strength of the tower changes. So you Correct. can put it in at a low level and, and test it out and see if it's working for you before you, you know, commit a ton of resources to it. Right. Oh, yeah.
0: If nothing else, it's going to force your opponent to put resources into it. And that's not nothing. You can't leave this on the board. At least I don't think you can. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think your your opponent can afford to leave this on the board. You play it. Your opponent has to clear it, and that in and of itself is value.
1: Absolutely, it's a lot like uh, winter decks playing the hearth, right? Like yes, you can. You can play around it by just removing all the units so that the hearth has nothing to buff every turn. But you know that's a risky strategy and. You're much better off in the long run, usually just putting the damage into the structure in the first place. And I suspect this will end up filling the same kind of role, even if you're just using it as bait for an execution.
0: Well, if I wanted to play a Moonlit Aries Seder deck, what better card to put in to try to bait out the execution so that my Moonlit Aries clear the next turn? (laughs) There you go.
2: Boom! Or even for your pillars.
0: Right? (laughs) Like that's the thing is this is a threat. It it is not a finishing card. The game will continue after you play it. You play potion of growth, forgotten souls. The game's over. You play this. The game will continue, but this is now a threat on the board that needs to be dealt with. And I just love that. I just I love the fact that I can play a card that then dictates what my opponent has to do in response. Either. To Sabaiku's point, he has to clear the two units I've got in front of it. Even if they're both Doppelbach pieces, who cares? They need to put two units into that or a runner, or they need to
2: clear this. That's a lot of mana they're putting into nothing. Mm -hmm. People should not undervalue that like, oh, uh, it's kind of a bad play if you play this card, because I know they have this particular uh, card to counter that card. Like, For example, uh, oh, I don't want to play true shot because I know they have execution right now. No, it's not necessarily a bad play to play True Shot, even if it gets executed, because there is some serious value when you can limit your enemy's options. If you force them to do something that they may or may not want to do, that actually gives you an advantage relative to them. 100%.
0: I don't think this is an auto-include for Swarm, and I'm thankful for that, to be quite honest. The last thing I want is an epic entered into the game right now that I need to somehow level up to level four or five so that I can play it in the deck, right? But at the same time, even at level one, this is pretty darn enticing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I really love the kind of implications this gives um, to the other five structures that are coming, which we don't know about yet, like what the abilities are. We just know the artworks, which you can find in the Discord upcoming teasers channel. Yeah, I mean, if they're making such unique mechanics like this, so unique that leveling it up doesn't change the mechanic. It's just that special. I can't wait to see the next ones.
0: I like the fact that it's a cheap tower because it, it, it feels like it's going to find a niche. If it was another five mana tower, I would just say I'd, it, it has to be better <laughs> than True Shot. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I don't know that it is better than True Shot at five mana, but gosh, it doesn't have to be. It's three mana. It just has to be better than Fort. And it is. All right guys, uh so after that we've got to discuss while we're on the subject of column effects. Our card of the week which is I'm sorry to say, Mechanical Workers. Heck yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love that card, bless its heart, but I can't say it without laughing. <laughs> yeah, and um just just to, just to do another shout out again, uh Frozen Earth, one of the uh one of the mods on the Stormbound Discord. Mm-hmm. He sent a deck order um, which includes uh, the mechanical workers. And uh, I personally uh, handcrafted that deck and I gotta say I'm actually so proud of it. It has so <laughs> many synergies. It's got a real real objective in the game. and when I'm playing it, oh man, it's it's delicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know the deck could, could do just as well even without the card, but hey, hey, look, look, the card's not useless. It's got its own synergies. Like, I put, um, like, Fortonic, Mia, and Hearthguards. And, um, like, Me- Mechanical Workers provides the structure for Fortonic and um, Hearthguards. It also provides constructs for the upgrade point, And then... <laughs>
0: but does Mechanical Workers move away from the... So, so, for those of you who don't know, and it's understandable if you don't, Mechanical Workers is six mana. It's levels of four, five, six, seven, and eight. For its strength, it has one movement, which means that when you play it, I believe it moves away from its spawns, a three, three, four, five, six health structure behind it, which makes a two, three, four, five, six construct. Boy, that is a complicated set. Look, at the end of the day, it makes a mechanical workshop behind it, which creates a construct. As you level up your Mechanical Workers, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So does the tower behind it, and so does the spawns from that tower. All of that being said, I believe the Mechanical Workers itself steps away from that tower, which is important because otherwise it would be in the way of the tower spawning on the following turn. So that's good. But it also means that you can't just play mechanical workers into Fort Tonic and expect anything to happen, because guess what? It won't. The mechanical workers are too far away.
2: Unless you attack sideways.
0: (laughs) Right. Okay. Okay. Well, there we go. So, right. We could play it in a situation where it attacks sideways and hope that
1: it lives and then play Fort Tonic.
0: This doesn't see a ton of play. Uh, Sabaiku, why is it not seeing a ton of play?
1: You know, that's a great question, because when you read the card text, it really seems like something you would want in a mid-range Ironclad deck, right? Lots of value. It's got a decent-sized body. It's got movement, so it can trade into another unit. And it creates a structure, which then provides value going forward, right? So it does Mm -hmm. a lot, but it also does a lot for six mana. Typically, on a six mana play, you're looking to really dominate the board you're not trying to set up value for future turns at this point you're either trying to a keep yourself from getting killed against a rush deck or b put overwhelming pressure on a slower deck where you're i mean playing something like destructive bots green prototypes and upgrade point where you're you're putting down a tower that generates value you're putting down a couple units and these will provide immediate threat as opposed to a long range threat. The problem with mechanical workers is that they spawn the, the structure behind. so you can never place the structure aggressively, really. The best you can do is middle of the board. and that I think is the biggest liability is that it just it needs a lot of room to operate in order to provide value three turns in the future. Like that's, it's really hard to pull that off.
0: Yeah, Arthas, even if I'm putting the the, mechan- the mechanical workers onto my opponent's baseline as a threat, the tower never has a chance of spawning to the left or right where it might actually protect my unit from an attack, right? Like, it's just, it's always going to be behind, which means, in the best case for it, it's always going to be middle of the board.
2: When you think about it, because it is spawning a mech workshop, right? The enemy doesn't even need to kill the mech workshop to uh, deny its value, which really sucks. You can just put a unit in front of it, even if it's just some measly toad. <laughs> the entire factory factory shuts down because a uh, health inspector deemed it uh, not worthy. a <laughs> rain of
0: frogs, for example.
2: <laughs> exactly. It's like so. Like you know, on paper, it's like wow, this is so much value, but it's just uh, the root of the problem. Mech Workshop. <laughs> it's so hard to make Mech Workshop like work despite its name it's just it takes it has so many conditions that need to be met you know such as the space in front also like because it's a structure that provides a lot of value you want to put it near your baseline as much as you can to make it as safe as you can but it doesn't provide that instant value and then when it does it's like just a unit sometimes you know it's just not that reliable
1: Hmm. yeah it's the structure is the kind of thing that your opponent can ignore or just block off for a couple turns and now you're left taking that tempo hit from playing the structure even though you've got a relatively decent sized body to go along with it with the six seven eight strength rodent it's just not enough to overwhelm what your opponent can respond to with six mana or seven mana
0: yeah, I'm, I'm I'm trying to think. So, so there are two types of, of of towers, right? There there are towers that provide value in terms of just their mana to strength, and then there are towers that provide continuing value in terms of things like resources. Um, in the case of uh, you know, uh, um, some of the mana or buffing to whether units, or in the case of this one an additional unit, which seems on paper fantastic, but it is the easiest one of all of them to deny that additional value as the opponent. I can't think of anything else that is easier to stop than a mechanical workshop in terms of getting value out of it. Is that the biggest problem with this is just, I'll throw this out there. If the mechanical workshop spawn happened, regardless of whether or not there was an opponent's unit in front of it, and it actually attacked and traded with it so if my opponent sticks a three health unit in front and my mechanical workshop makes a five health construct i suddenly just have a two health construct in front w- w- would that change the, the the calculus in terms of whether or not it's a good enough card to play
2: oh yeah that's a significant change for sure <laughs> that would be amazing a lot of people have been wishing for something like that I don't know if they'd be able to implement something like that, but yeah, that would be awesome, right? <laughs> well, if I play Reign of Frogs, I don't
0: prevent my Winter Pact opponent from getting
2: mana. Yeah, it's just it's really sad the way it's done right now. Because, <laughs> I mean, okay, this, this puts us into the topic of, like, um, a lot of these um, off meta cards tend to be easily defeated by positioning. I know there are a lot of cards out there that have conditions for them to work well, but I would say that conditions that require positioning are probably the hardest and most limiting uh, conditions that could easily make a card um, unplayable. So for example, um, like here with you know the mechanical workers, um, you need a space behind your mechanical workers to spawn the structure, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Mech Workshop needs a space in front, yeah, makes sense.. Yeah, yeah. And then like it would, let's think about many of those column based abilities like um, flaming stream or like avian stalkers like that kind of like positioning condition um it's just not reliable for a game like Stormbound. stormbound and the way that people uh spread their units apart and then like other cards for example like let's say lich summoners right it needs a space behind if you trade into a an enemy on your baseline even if it survives it doesn't get that extra value mm. and then with zuri i mean even with its popularity if you really like dissect its conditions not only does it need a space in front to fly to but it also needs space behind and that's what makes it um really hard to like set up sometimes which warrants it's uh the kind of strength it provides when you do pull off the setup so that's really cool but positional conditions are what makes a lot of the cards in the game kind of unplayable
1: and you see that zuri provides value right away so even though it's inconsistent to pull off it's worth it Because when you do get to play it, you get a lot out of it. With Mechanical Workers or Mech Workshop, when you play it, you're not guaranteed to get value out of it. No, no, no. no, You have to still continue to hope.
0: No, you get a tower out of it. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, that ends the main portion of this episode, which means it's time for me to remind you. Please follow us on Twitter at BroodSages and email us at the Sages at gmail.com. This week, we did receive some feedback from Evil Deck. He said, quote, I'm so sorry, (laughs) I could not find a use for Joust (laughs) Champion. As a Cat main, I can say that Rapid Mousers has no place in the game unless it gains strength or if it leans into the confusion mechanic. If it confused a random enemy unit before each attack, for example, it would see play like Vindicators do where its value lies in the ability, but it cannot become cheaper. I actually really like this. I have to say. Wow, that was really cool, actually. Really cool idea. I, I love that idea for rapid mousers. Um, anyway, thank you so much for the feedback, Evil Deck. Good luck this week with uh mechanical workers. <laughs> uh, and to anybody else who's listening, feel free to give it a shot. Good luck. Uh, That's going to do it for this episode. For Arthas and Subbaiku. I am freeloader. We are the bridge sages reminding you to stay hydrated.